0: and um someone in this conference talked about him and talked about how he wouldn't raise up his eyes how he just lifted up his hand to receive the what you get at church Big. What he was at the door he was at the gate beautiful the gate of the was one of the gates of the temple a temple gate he's at church there he said he couldn't go inside because he didn't qualify to go inside, he was not physically whole. If you were not physically whole, you couldn't enter the temple. You were disqualified from entering the temple if you were not physically whole. If you had crushed testicles, if you had, you know, if somebody's testicles got crushed, they didn't just say, oh gosh, I'll never have children, which is what guys will say when they get hit in the groin. They'll say, oh, I'll never have any more children. When those people got hit in the testicles it was like, Oh no, I can't enter the temple. I can't come in the presence of God. If a person was blind, if they were deaf, if they were maimed in some way, they could not come in. And so God here's this guy and he he wouldn't look up his, wouldn't lift up his eyes. He held his eye down, held up his hand to get what you got in church. What he normally got in church was just some money. Because you pitiful little feller, here's some money for you. And so Peter and John, when he lifted up his hand, Peter said, look at me. Look at me. Because they weren't allowed to look at people. Because they were not good at, they were not perfect. They had a, a disfiguration. Look at me. And he looked at him. And Peter said, Even though we ain't got money, I've got some healing for you, honey. So he didn't have money to give him. He looked at him and he said, Silver and gold have I none. And we say that like, now lay me down to sleep. Peter said, I don't have money, but what I've got, I'm giving. And so when we're in the house of the Lord and we're together as believers, we're drinking, we're getting something that we're going to be giving. And so when someone is like lifting up their hand, they've got some expectation of what a Christian will do, surprise them and give them something of the spirit of life that's in Christ Jesus that's in you. Because God has put in you his kingdom. And his kingdom that is in us, the kingdom of God, is not out there. Out there, it's not meat or drink. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost that is in us. And so we've got the kingdom within us. And when someone's like, oh, I've got this, I've got this, Hey, just say, hey, can I pray with you? I've got, I've got something, I've got something. It may not be what you're expecting, but I've got something that I can give you that will set you free and bring healing to you. Hallelujah. Yes, hallelujah. Well, glory to God, I want to talk to you today. Uh, it's a little bit of a history thing. I want to talk about the history and what what I have come to understand about th- my history in God and... Um, There was a space in time uh, talking about the building of the church at Shekinah. How this church actually began, the church at Shekinah began with hungry denominational people. People that were in mainline denominations that got hungry for more of the Spirit of God. And so this is how God began to move, and like uh, the influences. Um, of Episcopalians, Methodists, Catholics, Mennonites, people that were receiving the Spirit in their denominational environments, that began to come in the earth. And in, in our world, people began to receive receive the Holy Spirit. Well there were Pentecostal people already in existence out there from quite some time. And but mostly the people that were receiving the Holy Spirit were people that were in Methodists, Baptists uh episcopalian um catholic francis mcnutt who just recently went to be with the lord i think was a catholic who taught in divine healing he was a very powerful uh came out of the catholic tradition dennis bennett was an episcopalian and he taught a baptism in the holy spirit and he promoted and out of that group of episcopalians The baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues began to be released in people that were not people who believed in that. They were not people who believed in that. And so back in that space in time, in the 60s, 70s, this was being released in the earth. They just didn't, uh, that wasn't there before. I mean, it was there in places in Pentecostalism that had come at the turn of the century. But for some reason, God, and I don't know why he did this, he got outside of the order. He got outside of the standard order of things. And he would, what? God, you can't save somebody with tattoos from head to toe and and who was like a hippie like living on the street in San Francisco. What? You can't do that. But he did. He did. He did all over this country. He did all up and down the West Coast. He did. He saved people that people were like, you can't come in my church. You just look too weird. Hey, this was real. This was really happening. But God was not bound by any boundaries that Church people like us, or any you know, church people, we get kind of bronzed in our worlds. Um, he wasn't bound by all that. He got outside that box. So then there's Gerald Durstein. Gerald Durstein ordained Pastor Sue. He came here and he ordained her. Gerald Durstein was a Mennonite. A Mennonite. Jimmy and I are pastor that we w- went to s- to see up at Global School. Uh we, we were the deacons of worship in the Mennonite church in central Illinois where he was the pastor. He was pastoring a Mennonite church. That was a spirit-filled Mennonite, one of the best move-of-the-spirit churches in central Illinois. And so we had to be the deacons of worship. And so there was a band at that time called the Freakin' Deacons. Of worship. The Freakin' deacons or something. It was like a rock and roll band and they called themselves the freaking deacons. And so Jimmy and I would laugh and say, Oh my gosh, we've been ordained here, the freaking deacons of worship. In a Mennonite church, what in the world have we gotten ourselves into? But Gerald Durstein, this Mennonite, he began to teach kingdom living. And so that began to move into, he was a denominational, very conservative denominational, the Mennonites are. Uh, began to teach kingdom living. And then during this space of time, in the 60s, the Jesus movement brought many people to the Lord. And in the move of the Spirit in the older denominational churches, gave new life to the church during the 1970s. It was during this time frame that Shekinah was established through this hunger for more and the teaching that the gifts of the Spirit are for today. So people that were Baptist, Methodist, whatever's, got the baptism of the Holy Spirit and were like just in a state of wonder. And so Ann Fletcher received a complete healing of tumors all throughout her whole body when she got the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I don't know that she didn't get to live to be 95, but as long as she lived, I don't know that she ever got over the wonder of the fact that she was a nice Methodist person that God filled with His Holy Spirit and healed her from head to toe. And so uh, in church history, there's always been, always been in church history, if you look back through it and study it, there have always been those who hungered for more. Not just dissatisfied people whining, complaining, and grouching about church. That'll never get you more. Hunger for more is hunger for more of God. And if you hunger for more of God, He will make avenues for you to receive what He wants to give you. If you're hungering for more of God, he's not going to shut the door to that because he's the one who opens doors and gives more. And so hungered always been those who hungered for more expression of what was released to the church in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost and how those people after Pentecost, how they moved and how they released the Spirit on the earth during that time. So in the book of Acts, the Spirit came. They heard a sound before they were filled. They heard a precursor. It says they heard a sound, they, then they were all filled. And so there the Spirit came. And so the pattern that they set of receive and release is what people long for over and over and over again. And they want to go back to that Complete, sold out, receive and release. God fill me, God use me. And they weren't like saying, I don't know if God can use me. I mean, they had for their captain, they had for their captain, the worst guy. So they probably wouldn't say, I don't know if God can use me. I was not ever really a good believer. Their captain there, in front of them preaching, was the guy who cursed three times and swore and denied Jesus and walked off and left him abandoned. He, they, Peter was no great shakes, man, but man, when the Spirit filled him, he didn't say, "I got to figure out what I'm going to do about what I've done in the past." Or blah, blah blah blah. He just released what God was anointing him with and what God gave him, and so people long for the freedom. And the, the moving of that, that group of people in the book of Acts, they were family. You know, we live in a world where people are, you know, you're attracted to... Big church is easy. I used to go to big church when Jimmy and I left here. Well, we didn't go to big church right away. I didn't go to any church for a while. I told the Lord, you can have it. I love you, but I don't like Christians. And so I went through my little whatever and then i we got david and i'm like oh gosh we've got a kid what was, what have you done to yourself you've got to take this child to church you can't you can't have a child and not expose them to the gospel and to the things of god so okay here we go hold ourselves back in and then the, we were in a church where the move of the spirit came from toronto and people were doing all kinds of crazy and i'm like whoa god oh this is too scary um So I went to a big church. Big church where I could go. I didn't even have to talk to anybody. I knew about four people there out of 2,000. And I could go, hey, hey, Tracy, hey, hey, this person, that person. And I in and out the door, and I could get it done so easy and so quick, but I was in no community with hardly anybody. Just John Tanner and his crowd, who John said, I'm going to pastor you while you're in your condition. You just think of me as a pastor. You just come to me when you have a thing or whatever. And so that's just how we rolled. And I I rolled in that way. But in that book of Acts group, though they were huge and they kept being huge, they didn't have circumstances where they could make it easy to not be receiving and releasing. There was this desire to have more and to do more and to give more. And so they were under persecution and so the longing that they had to be filled with more of God not, didn't just have to do with, well, I want to feel better. Because, I mean, you, God does make you feel better when he comes to you. He does. It's a good thing. But it wasn't just that. It was save us from death. It was help us, God. They did not know what to do. They were fresh and new and something wonderful and did not know what to do. And so probably one of the things that hinder us more than anything else as believers is that we get not fresh and not new and old and molded over and stale in ourselves personally. And we think we know what to do. And so we just by rote do what we think we know what to do. And God is saying, I want to do a fresh work in your heart. I want you to lift up your eyes to me and say, I don't know what to do. My eyes are on you. Fill me. Fill me fresh. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me in this world. I want to make a difference. I don't want to be just numbered among a group of people. I want to be involved. I want to make a difference. And so one thing about being in a church that is not large is that everybody is needed. I mean, truly, everybody is needed. You may not think, well, what will I do? Everyone is needed to lean into God and seek God and be filled with God and be activated to do what you can do to breathe the life of God into the things that are important to you or that you long after. So there's always been people who hungered for more of God, longed for fresh impartation. In the most recent past, I mean in the recent past, the Methodist, and I'm going to run you through a real quick church history, the Methodist began a revival, and John Wesley said himself, "He was, I think he was on, at Aldersgate. He was an Episcopal person. Was an Episcopal. You know in the Reformation, there wasn't necessarily a lot of feeling in the Re- Reformation. was theological reform. It was now you don't need a priest to come to God. All believers are priests. The priesthood of the believer. That theological reform changed the basic underpinnings and the structure of everything in the Reformation. But in the time of Wesley... And Whitfield and those people. Something else happened. And it happened with the Moravians in the 1700s. But how Wesley described it, and I think it was at Gate, he said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. And what happened to Wesley is that the Holy Spirit Filled him and came into him in a way that he had not experienced before, and it completely changed John Wesley, and it set in motion what became a huge revival and a huge movement called the Methodist, the United Methodist Church, which probably will not be united to the end of this year. I think they'll probably be divided in the conference at May, in May. In between the traditional. Uh, and uh, the non-traditional beliefs of the two. But at this, the Methodists went throughout the world preaching the gospel. And they were not just preaching a gospel that was a technicality. They were preaching, you you must be born again. You can be born again. You can know. You can have this experience of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so the Wesley did have that then. Um, so, I'm going to just real quick do this. I've done this a few times, and you'll probably hear it more from me. I I've, I've realize this is why I just absolutely love Randy Clark. He's an academic person and a historian. And he puts context around what's happening in, the, in your life and in the world, and it helps you. But think about where you are in God as, as a church and as a person. In the 1500s, access to God without a priest came through the Reformation, through Martin Luther. In the 1700s, people became more aware. And this, this was always present on some degree all the way through church history. But it became widespread, a presence of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life in a felt experience. I felt my heart strangely warmed the moravians and wesley then so here they are felt their heart strangely and then someone else comes on the scene william booth i want to tell you here's how the lord said to me he was taking it to the streets and so when they were telling him don't you can't do this you can't do that william is before the I don't know if they were Episcopalians or Methodists, but whoever he was before. And and it was uh, the group that was going to tell him he could not do what they were doing with the prostitutes and the drug addicts and the poor people in the nasty parts of towns and London and these places that were just... People lived in squalor. They absolutely lived in squalor. Um, and so they... He's before them, and they're saying, "You can't. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to do that." And his wife, Catherine, was in the balcony. She probably, as a woman, was not allowed to be down there where the decisions were being made. But from the balcony, Catherine shouts out, "Say no, William!" Well, they were telling him, you, "You can't do this. You've got to do this, this, and this for to stay in our good graces." And Catherine shouts out, "Say no, William!" Hey, come on, I want more of God. I don't care about good graces. We want to walk in in unity and walk before God with all of our heart. But God wants to take it to the streets. But anyway, so here we go. So William Booth, he's taking it to the streets. I think there's a song about that. Jimmy, maybe we need to break that out to play in church like that one we did for Mike Bracken. You know, it makes me want to shout. So the, there then came the Holiness Movement. The Holiness Movement was a movement that had healing in it. It had people like A.B. Simpson and those people. They did not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, but they were teaching uh, holiness and to be right with God and sanctified and seek God and put Him as the center of your life and find your home in God. Find He is your home. Um, I think it was A.B. Simpson who wrote the poem, Once it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. Once his gifts I wanted, now the giver own. Once I sought for healing, now himself alone. To me that poem just uh, embodies the heart of the holiness movement where you make God your home and you're seeking God. And so that was real. But hey, people were still hungry for more. They're seeking crying out. So at the turn of the 20th, into the 20th century, about 1900, 1905, around in those time frames, on Azusa Street and other places all around the world, the Spirit and the gifts became manifested with speaking in tongues. People received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues. The glory of God would be visible. Children played in it like Play Doh. Um, And so that happened, and the holiness movement, by and large, did not receive that. They did not move into that. They kind of rejected that. And so then it goes along, and then in 1948, and this is one thing that I've learned from Randy that I'm very grateful for his uh, insight into this and his experience, in 1948, in North Battleford in Saskatchewan, there were some people that were Pentecostal-type people. They were hungry for more. They wanted more. They were hungry for more. They were seeking God in an airplane hangar in the freezing cold up in Canada. It was not a comfortable thing. And so they were seeking God, and there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit where there was a restoration of prophecy, and the five ministry gifts came. In 1948, in what was called the latter reign, well, you know what happened? The Pentecostal churches that spoke in tongues and had the other gifts rejected that. They did not They did not receive that. They turned away from that. And so in that time frame, there was a person who was very powerful, Houghton, I think was his name. Uh, I think this is who Randy talked to. It might have been another one of the leaders, but it's one of the leaders. Anyway, they, got, they were prophesying, and they had very strong words of prophecy. We had a minister who came here one time, and how he came into the ministry was he walked in the back of, the, of a room, came into a meeting. I think he might have been a Baptist feller, David Shock. He walked into the back of that meeting, and the person speaking said out loud, He didn't say, is there a Jane here, a Janet? He said, I have called my servant David Shock. Well, in that day, that was a word of knowledge and a moving of the gifts of the Spirit that people were just... David Shock was transformed into... uh, He received a prophetic office. God gave him a prophetic office and a ministry which was a very strong ministry. But, but the churches, by and large, rejected that. And the people, you know, when you're rejected in a thing, how many of y'all love to be rejected? Don't you just love the feeling of rejection? And so they were. Re- when you're rejected in a thing, you kind of pull in. You do. You kind of recoil. You kind of pull in when you're rejected in a thing. And so they were rejected in that thing, so they pulled in, and then they started doing like prophesying, prophesying. Who's a prophet? Who's a real prophet? This prophet's not a real prophet. That prophet is a real prophet. And they got into focusing on who was the greatest among them. Does that sound familiar? That sounds like something in the Bible. They got into like comparing themselves among themselves, who was the greatest among them, because they were rejected out there somehow, and they kind of turned in and started doing the things that we do when we turn in. And so this feller, Randy Clark interviewed him, he was 85 years old or something, and he he was complaining because they wouldn't let him preach except in the United States. (laughs) Anyway, but he told Randy Clark, he said that he was in a meeting where the word of the Lord came. He was going to lift the anointing off of that movement. Because they did not do what their mandate was to do. Which their mandate to do was the five ministries in Ephesians. When it describes it, the Lord has given to the church apostles, prophets, pastor, teachers, and evangelists to... Say it, Carol, big and loud. Equip the, equip the saints. Not be the people. God gave these offices and gifts to equip the saints. And so they, the word came to them, I'm lifting from this, because you've not served your mandate, which is was to equip the saints. And so one of the things that uh, so anyway, I want to go on through this, and then I'll come back to that. And so then in the 1960s, the Jesus Movement came. Oh, Lord. All kinds of people were getting saved. People out of Ashbury, out in, in uh, San Francisco, in some of the wildest uh, environments, and were coming to the Lord and getting saved. And There was a whole movement in California, the Calvary Chapel, And those uh, folk were winning these new people. And so, in this time frame, then the old denominations started receiving the Spirit. Now, these people that had been doing this a long time, they rejected it. The Pentecostals rejected that God could move like this among Catholics, or Episcopalians, or Baptists, or anybody that hadn't suffered like we had to hold this truth. And so they, they rejected that, except the latter rain did not reject it. The latter rain movement did not reject what was happening with the Jesus People movement. Those people did not do the rejection piece with it. And so in that time frame, about in the 1980s, a group came on the scene, and I didn't know this much about them, this is why I'm fascinated with this, uh, and I didn't like it at the time. I can remember saying really awful things about them. <laughs> it's like the burning Keith Green's records and stuff. I mean, if it wasn't like in my little framework, I couldn't receive it. It's too odd. The men had long hair. Um, well, hello. I mean, we're humans. You know, humans will mold themselves over in what they think they know is best and right. And so, But anyway, in this, Qua- this Quaker group, they were just mad, they were disgusted, they were sick of church, and they decided they would get together. And so they got together, and they had some rules. Nobody could teach. They didn't want any teaching. They were up to their eyes with teaching. They knew the verses. And so they, had, they just were waiting on God there. And the Lord poured himself out on this group of people, which became the first of the Vineyard Movement. And the, one of the people in that was John Wimber, a Quaker. And so what truth that they received was to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And so that's what they received. They received that this is your mandate, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And they just started praying for people. I heard uh, Wimber, I've been listening to his old stuff from back in the day, and uh, when I would never have listened to him. So I just thought, well, thank you, God. There's like YouTube, and I can kind of revisit my craziness. But he was like, the, equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and so they were going to pray for healing. And so they were in no f- grid in their, in their Quaker world for this and where to put this. And so they started praying what the Scripture said and, and taking the Scriptures and applying them. And they were looking at application. Not, if, you, if the scripture said something, we're not just going to praise the gospel. We're not just going to praise the gospel, we're going to do the gospel. So if it said pray for the sick, they prayed. They said they prayed for a hundred people and nobody got healed. But they kept praying. They prayed, <laughs> they prayed for a hundred people and before somebody finally got healed. And... But they just continue to do it as an obedience that we're going to practice the gospel. We're going to take it to the streets. Because that we reach points where God breaks us out of how we kind of build protections around ourselves. And he's like, we're taking this to the streets. And so Wimber, they began to just teach, 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 teach people, train people, pour into people. And this is where Randy Clark got influenced by John Wimber. And Bill Johnson out at Reading, he was influenced by John Wimber. He would have conferences on the gifts of the Spirit and teaching people to, how to minister in the gifts. They weren't just ministering in the gifts. They were teaching people how to minister in the gifts. And so then uh, Wimber laid his hands on Randy, or said to Randy, God is going to use you to go around the world and give impartation to people for the release of ministry in the earth. I said, like, well, that sounds like a good word. Somebody can give you that word. But I'm going to tell you, that, that actually happened. He is the person who laid hands on Heidi Baker, who pray, or actually prophesied to Heidi and, and released Heidi and left Hetland and somebody else, which I can't remember, but Evus will know, uh, the third person <laughs> of, that, of that group that has won so many people to the Lord. But it all started... With someone saying, just releasing someone to do the ministry. So, each phase of how the Spirit moves and works in the church throughout history is to move us out of this structure that we build ourselves around. And don't get freaky and crazy and think, oh God, what's she setting us up for? Uh, we're not going to minister on a cruise ship. Uh, <laughs> But he's already broke a salvo box and put Elaine in a care center. Each phase of how God moves and works in a church throughout history is to move us out of structure that we put around ourselves and the blessing that he has previously given us. And we get in our mind that we've got something wonderful. When really people around us are going, "Uh, do you not know the emperor has no clothes? (laughs) <laughs> you may have done something sometime, but right now the emperor has no clothes. Sorry, I'm crazy, but that's all right. You already know I'm crazy, so you don't have to... I don't have to try to hold up any standard here of not being wild. <laughs> In God's master designed to equip the church to bring the kingdom of God out of heaven and into the earth... Our task is to receive and to release, to take it to the streets, to let God fill us. Not say, well, well let's, let's get up a plan now. we got to get up a plan. we got to get up a plan here so we can take this somewhere. Well, I mean, I think like that. I'm like, oh, God, I'm a pastor of a church now. Jesus, what have I done? Oh, God, i got to get up a plan. I need to get up a plan. i got to get up a plan. Well, if I'd gotten up my plan, I didn't even know what the plan was. I mean, I didn't even know what God was going to put into me to begin to move me in some direction. So the giving of what we've received to others is the core of the gospel message. Peter, such as I have, give I you. Yes. What do you have? Give it. Well, I don't have a lot. I'm not real spiritual. But I, I do know this and I know that. And I, uh, is it, Do any of you have the capacity to be kind? Oh my gosh! Nobody does. Where am I? <laughs> it's just so scary now. Uh, well, I don't feel like I have anything to give. I'm not real spiritual. I'm not. What can I do for anybody? What can I? Do? We can be kind. We can tell people Jesus died for their sins and loves them, and can bring them in. We can bring the fuzzy blanket for the swaddle with the things we know and how we can teach about being saved. If you don't know how to teach about being saved, just, you know, Google it. How do I bring somebody to Jesus? Uh, Be sure that you're reading it from an actual Christian (laughs) site. Not a heresy. (laughs) Um, Anyway. So, such as I have. He said, here's what I've got. I... Don't have money, but I have power to heal you. I've got the Holy Spirit. I want you to hear me today. We may not have a lot of money. We may not have a lot of uh, great ideas or whatever. We don't know what we got. I'm sure God's going to activate many things in many of us that we don't even know that we've got. But I do know this. We've got the Holy Spirit. He's in us. If we're saying Jesus is the Lord, the Scripture says you can't even say Jesus is the Lord if the Spirit's not in you. So don't let the devil tell you, well, I'm not sure I have... If you can say Jesus is the Lord, the Spirit is in you. And He's going to give you more and more and more and fill us more and more and more with His presence and with His power to release us to do what He has for us to do. I want to tell you the best part. It is no small thing to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you about the best part of what happened to me at this conference. I never think I'm ever going to get a prophecy. I avoid it. I hide from people who give prophecies. I don't want people like trying to have a ministry on my territory. <laughs> I, just, I just don't like, well, God, no. I'm happy with Jesus, and I can just plow on. And I feel like I hear from the Lord, and it's kind of probably, well, it's a bit odd probably, but hey, what can you do? And so, I don't think like that. The lady who ministered? Well, she kind of put me in mind in her face of Carlotta. She's about Carletta's age, maybe not as old as Carletta. Very sweet girl who had lost a three-year-old child in death. And God turned her inside out and began to do a work in her through the loss that she had. Lost two children and there she was pregnant. And she said, I'm having an experience that, that men don't get to have in the ministry. While I'm t- declaring to you and speaking to you, I've got a kicking baby in here. <laughs> That's something men don't ever get to have. I've got a kicking baby in here. Anyway, here she is. And in, uh, in a bazillion she taught is a really, really powerful presentation of God's heart and of his word. I, really, I watched her, and I was just like, oh, my gosh, like a little sister, like a young woman who's, who God has his hand on. I was so pleased and so proud to see a young woman with, moving in, in the spirit of the Lord like that. It just blessed the socks off of me. Uh, and so then <clears throat> she said, is there a Janet here? I immediately thought, oh, Janet. Janet. Uh, anybody who knows me very well knows that someone in my life that I was once married to married someone named Janet. And I thought, no, no offense there, Janet. And so <laughs> it wasn't our Janet. And so I thought, oh, Janet. So in my mind, while she's getting ready to release a very powerful word to me, and God is getting ready to fill me with the, with the Holy Spirit with a fresh anointing and impartation. I'm standing there thinking, oh, Janet. And I'm, I'm rehearsing past things with Janet in my head. And she said, Jane, J A J-A, I just got J-A-N, maybe it's Jane, is there any Jane in here? And I thought, well, surely there's a bunch of Janes in here. Jimmy said it was like 500 people. I didn't think it was that many, but then I can count. And so, uh nobody raised their hand. Nobody did I said, Well, my name is Jane. And she said, Will you stand? And I stood up. And then she said this thing to me that had been burning in me. And I'd said to the Lord, You know, God I could be a white Harriet Tubman. I'd been like going over this for a few weeks. And she said this, that I had the spirit of an abolitionist. When she said that, it was, as prophecy often will be, it had that confirmation element. I was like, oh, God, were you listening to me? You know, like when I'm, like, saying, ranting on about slavery. Were you, like, listening to me? And so, when she released that word, I began to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just a word. It came with a mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not a reactor, I don't think. Uh, Not much of one I do react. But I mean, I shook. I, I could not. I just stood there and. God washed over me wave after wave after wave. Wave after
1: wave after wave.
0: And I'm like, oh, Jesus. She comes to the end of it and says, your work in India is not done. And so that piece about India, when I was a little girl, little girl, I was in my 20s, I think. (laughs) Early 30s. That's a little girl when you're as old as I am. It's so much fun to tell people you got five grandchildren and how old they are, and they look at you like, what? You can't possibly have five grandchildren and one of them be that old. Um, anyway, I was, we went to India, first time I ever went to India, a little girl came and just kind of attached to me in some way, and I, I called her Purple. I nicknamed her and called her Purple, and the little girl, I watched the little girl. She was so poor. and. She just kept, she would come around, she would come sit by. We had hose on, how crazy was this? We had hose on in India, it must've been insane people. And so they would come and pull the hose because like, what is this on your leg? This was like in the 19 something, 80s, I guess. Yeah, oh, 70s or 80s, 80s, early 80s. Anyway, and so a little purple was there. You know, when we got ready to leave, she was somehow related to the people that were the cooks in that conference, and those people brought that child to give that child to me. And Pastor Barry and Joey said, said, oh, you can't do that, we can't do something like that. Because at that time, you couldn't just get a child out of India. Now I think you can maybe get children out of India. I remember when uh, Nick got uh, Kabir, I thought, whoa, how did he do that? So they made, they've made changes in how, uh, or they had before the BJP got in power, who knows what it is now. Um, Anyway, this little child, and I have such a burning in my heart for young women to not be in slavery, to not be in slavery, to not be in slavery. When I was in Peoria, Illinois, I worked with homeless and lockouts. Many of the people, they gave me the teenage girls because the guys did not want to work with teenage girls. It put them at too much risk. And so I was an older one there and they would give me the teenage girls. And I had such a burning over those girls that they not be in the slavery that many of those girls were in, in their communities and in their relationships. There was actual bondage and slavery in it. And I want to tell you that in this world today, There are more slaves, bought-owned slaves in this world today than there has ever been in the history of this world. You think about the wonderful things that happened that released from slavery, how Wilberforce did the work that he did, and how finally through blood and guts and everything, we were able to lay slavery down on on this soil But all over this world, little children, not just girls, not just girls, but girls and boys, child soldiers conscripted to kill and taught to kill. Rodney and Nita Lloyd, who was in the church here for some time, they work in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, with a fellow who actually won a Nobel Peace Prize. They raise money on this side, Rodney, you need to raise money on this side. They're based in Detroit now. And they have a place, a hospital, for girls and women. But many of these are young girls that are taken as captives of the Civil War in the Congo. They were taken as captives of the Civil War and the weapon of war. One of the weapons of war in the Congo there is rape. And so then the girls would be raped and and her, I mean, really, they have a hospital where they do surgeries and repair things. But they kept them as slaves in the forest and repeatedly raped them. And then they would come back with children and their communities would reject their children because they were the children of the enemy oh my God, the grief and the sadness that is in this world, and that the Holy Spirit would wash over me to say, Jane, I see your heart, and I'm going to release something through this. I believe it, because He does not give impartation, and He does not give the baptism in the Holy Spirit like I received standing there that day to fall on the ground somewhere. So I have no idea where this will take us or where we will go. We don't know what to do, but Lord, I Eyes are on you. Yeah. And we're going to be people that see young girls set free from slavery of all kinds in this country, in our region, and in this world. And there will be some in India. And who knows, maybe my Jesus will let a Mukta that I love so much be a part of that. Yeah. Wouldn't that just be the best thing?
1: Yeah.
0: So hey, is this not the good thing? I love Jesus. He's so good. When he wants us to move and, and do something and serve him, he will not leave you alone. He will come to you. He will speak to you. He will fill you with his spirit. He will direct you. He will life you. And he's going to give us ability by his grace to bring dignity to womanhood in ways we've never dreamed. I believe that to be so. I believe it to be so. And so I want to encourage you today to be willing just to release what God gives you and come before him and say fill me with the Holy Spirit. Release your life in me and to pray for people and bless people and give the gospel to people and I can tell you now, you may not know, you may interact with someone somewhere in this locale that is a slave. Not just a slave to sin, but a slave to someone. This is a real thing. A slave to someone. And you be ready to give hope. And give the gospel. Let's stand together. Oh, I wanted to tell you how the Lord filled me with the Holy Spirit, but that's hard to deal with, sir. Oh, sorry, I'm going to snivel. Mm.
1: If you want to respond to this word, then I'd like to call you home. And in this conference, when the, the lady that Jane was talking about uh, ministered the first night, uh, she talked about coming home to Jesus. Before you can be an emancipator, before you can take the message of healing to a hurting world, you have to be a first partaker of the fruit. Yes. For me, what that means is, and and what she said very eloquently in this conference was, and sometimes we miss, because most of you here know the Lord and have walked with him for years, and sometimes that's the problem. We've gotten used to it. We've forgotten what it is to come to our first love. So today... If this word has inspired you, then I want to invite you to come home to Jesus.
0: Amen. 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 Let him
1: make his home Amen. in your heart.
0: Amen. Amen. Fall in love with him. Again. Amen. Amen.
1: Do you remember when you used to weep over him? But you haven't wept in a long time. Come home to Jesus. Thank you Lord. How long has it been since you've been lost in worship? In your private time? Or you've run in your house shouting and screaming. Because you got a revelation. The word coming alive. This church has a tremendous and outstanding history. But history won't save us. And for what's ahead, we need a fresh touch.
0: Right. I know. Yes, a fresh fresh touch. touch. We need a fresh touch.
1: So I made a commitment in this conference, first night. It's one of the first ones at the altar. I'm coming home to Jesus.
0: Amen. Thank you, Lord. I'm getting simple again. Thank you, Father. I love
1: Jesus. And I'm not going to argue or give him my wisdom. I'm just going to say yes.
0: Yes, thank you, Lord.
1: So I invite you today and if you want to respond just lift your hands let's just take a moment to come home to Jesus and you tell him coming home, home. coming home, home. Never, never more, more. to all